joining us today, Spandau Ballet founder and solo artist Gary Kemp. Gary, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm 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 going through the most um the probably the nervous most nervous time of any album when you actually put it out into the world and people start to judge it and you talk about it and and you 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 know it's a very private thing writing songs and and when and the first person who normally hits so this is how it works in my house so i've got a room with a grand piano in i'm very lucky to have that and there's chaos going on in my house utter noise with i've got three young boys and and a dog and you know my wife's trying to you know create some sort of you know universe out of that that we're all going to remember and be happy with um and so occasionally i just go straight into that piano room and i'll sit there and that's it there's like putting some blinkers on it's like just like just going into my own private place and sometimes out of that comes a song and then if i like it i'll sing it loud and so the first person is whether my wife can say that's really good i liked what you were doing there you know how did you hear it above the hubbub but you know that's well you initially stated though that you have nerves you have more nerves now than you've ever had before and is that because it's a solo album and it's a true reflection of yourself yes it is uh, you know the i mean paradoxically the to make this album i needed confidence and i think that confidence came from playing with nick mason and fronting that band you know um singing more playing more guitar being embraced by the Pink Floyd fraternity. I say fraternity because it is mostly blokes. It's men who who, who dig Pink Pink Floyd, um, and you know because I I do this Nick Mason Source Full of Secrets gig, and uh, I think we're coming to Australia as well. I'll be there. Touring with them to, for two years, and uh, and 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 I think it was interesting because I as much as I love it, my frustration is they're not my songs. But and and there were two things that happened. So first of all, I get this com- confidence from them, to and embraced by them as a frontman and as as a player. And I reach sixty, and and I there's more life behind me than ahead of me. And I'm trying to work out how all of those versions of myself that I get shown on TV that get shown on TV and I get to see a lot, <clears throat> and going all the way back even to being a fan of music, you know, because there's a track on here called Waiting for the Band, which is a sort of hymn to being a fan. How all those versions become relevant and a part of my life now, where does that sit? And and I tried to, on this album, sort of embrace a lot of that and work my way through that. There's a track on here called I Am the Past, and the, and the two lines are I am the past trying to be here. You know, and it, and um, and I think that was that was kind of one area that I was writing in uh when i when i started making this record it was about you know a a guy of a certain age and looking back and some embracing a lot of it and taking a lot of that 70s music that i love and trying to put that in the mix as well sonically um and 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 i suppose it was a kind of therapy as well for me you talk about uh you mentioned the song waiting for the band um you mentioned how this is written from you as a fan, from a fan perspective. However, there is the line in there, even though we're all estranged, I never really felt your change. That no, I never felt short changed. Short changed. Got it. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, it, I, but one can't help but to think that that's an ode to Spandau Ballet. I suppose there's, you know, when I'm, when words are flying out, 
there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's subconscious truths coming out too. I think initially I was thinking, the, the, you know, basically that there's a song that begins about all the wonder of that dressing up, that falling in love with artists, you know, Bowie was on my mind, you know, and, 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 and the, the tribalism of, uh, of hanging out with, with, with kids who wanted to be Bowie and wanted to meet him, you know, in the middle of the song, I go into Hammersmith Odeon. The music actually shifts gear, goes into the auditorium and the euphoria of him coming on stage. And then it goes back to the reverie. And, and I wanted to say like, we've always, we always keep that feeling. I've still got that yearning to be, to be um, in a band, to, to be, no, to be a fan, to be wait, to have the greatest thing happen to me, or walk in front of me on stage and change my life and make me feel excited again. So, but also a kind of saying goodbye to all those kids and memories and ghosts that are still there in my life, you know, that hung out around the back of stage doors that ran up trying to get autographs. You know, even though we're all estranged, you know, I still cherish it. You know, and I actually then went and got some um, interviews with kids from outside Earl's Court in 1978, waiting to go in to see Bowie. And I found that online and I took the, the interview pieces and I put them underneath uh, some of the music and they kind of bubbled up like ghosts and they gave me goosebumps. And I was really sort of trying to enshrine them forever in, in, a, in a piece of music that paid homage to their brilliance. That is brilliant. There's a, a line I also have to ask in your lyrics in the song that you just brought up, um, I Am The Past. It's, uh, I'm a desperate chance you've taken too soon. That, that line, that particular line caught me as I was going through the record. Um, any sort of light on that? I, I think that song has... Uh, um, I've been with my wife for 20 years, but she's, she's a lot younger than me. And, and, and I think, you know, I... I I sort of, you know, I had a whole past that was very different before I met her. And I'm just, and sometimes I, you know, I, in your insecurity, as all of us, as when we get older, we become, there's a sense of loss about getting older. And I, and, and, and I was just, it was a question to her, really. Um, sometimes, you know, you, I feel quite fractured by all the things that have gone on in my life, you know, whether it's divorces or whether it's, you know, court cases or tragedy or like we all do. And, yeah. and how do I, how do I regain freshness on a day-to-day -day basis and positivity on a day-to-day -day basis? And, um, you know, and I think sometimes I'm turning around saying, you know, why me? Why choose me? You know, yeah. um, I got a lot of baggage. I can't try and keep it outside the door but then I don't try and keep it outside the door. I drag it in and I write songs about it. <laughs> I mean, that's what artists do, right? I think on this album, even, and because I'm writing for myself to sing and I can't do this if I'm, if I was writing for Tony, say I'm, I'm writing stuff that even if it's third in the third person has got stuff that I've experienced in it and it might be blown up. There's a song on there on here called a rumor of you, which is a kind of a slightly psychotic song about, an obsession with an, with a woman that you, you think, well, I, the guy has either been with her and lost her and he's got a, a, a suspicion she wants him back, or maybe he's never met her. You know, maybe he's, he thinks he, you know, he's, he's obsessed with her. Right. But it is about obsession and it's about unrequited obsession. And, 
And I think I can take elements of my experience in life that I've been through in relationships and embed that into that song. And that's that. So that was a song that was a song that I wrote on the road with Nick and I wrote lyric first, completely lyric first. And a lot of this album was written lyric first. And I, and I think that was what was showing me the way to it being a solo album I had to make about uh, because, because, you know, if I'm, when I was writing for Spandau, I was always writing melody first. Okay. Yeah. That is interesting because some of the words are very, observant um sort of reflective in a reminiscent type of way and sort of you know themes about where you're at now and it kind of reminded me of like what lennon did with double fantasy way back in 1980 how he was saying you know i'm writing about me you know um we've gone through these changes the 60s you know didn't quite work the flower power and all that stuff and wasn't the 70s a drag you know let's make the 80s good you know that's what he said and um, I guess you could probably relate, like as a working class hero yourself, someone that's come from that that sort of background that's hit success in in later life, and sort of able well, to sort of embody that in a record where you say, "Well, this is where I'm at now." I, I think I think so. Whether or not that was, you know, what what I I think I was trying to use those ideas. You know, there's also elements on here about, you know, like a track like in Solo, which is is about the struggle of, of feeling important within a city, the paradox of feeling isolated, even though you're surrounded by millions of people. So I'm trying to get some difficult ideas, but deliver them with stealth through hooks and commercial, yeah, some sort of performance that, it, you know, I, I, I don't want it to... You know, I didn't want this to be an acoustic album that was just gently sort of like trying to express my pain, you know. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm into hooks. I'm into big melodies. I'm, I'm into drama, you know. Um, <clears throat> certain writers like Todd Rundgren really appeal to me. I love what Steely Dan do, you know. Um, and, yeah. and I, you know, I think, and, and, and even Floyd to a certain extent. So I'm trying to get all of that, deliver some tough stuff to other people. And I think that's okay, because what my I've experienced is universal. You know, yeah. so do you, you, it's not going to be so personal. You know, the thing is about Lennon is he would make it very particular about him and Paul at times and his own story, you know, him and Yoko, you know, it was very, very particular. And I think sometimes what you've got to do is try and make it more universal. You know, yeah, you, you um, actually, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change things up a bit for a second, Gary, I, I need to know this. You can go on tour tomorrow with Spandau Ballet and sell stadiums across the country, across the world. Why, at this point in your career, focus on a solo career? Well, I mean, Spandau is over for me now, and I think it's you know we've we've had too many, too many sort of comebacks and trying back to get back together. And in the end, you know what I think we've all realized is we ain't those guys anymore. You know, as individual, you know, when you're in. Britain is very good at forming bands as opposed to solo artists in the back in the seventies and eighties. It was all about bands because it was mostly working class kids and it was a gang. They feel strength in a gang. The a gang is louder than, than, than an individual. And then they get up on stage and, and, and that's the band. Well, we were a gang back in the eighties and we tried to be a gang a few times since but we're not anymore. You know, there's too many, there's, there's, there's too much of a, you know, we find it difficult when we're together as people. And so there's no point just pretending commercially to, yeah. to do that. So I think 
you know, I've, I've enjoyed other stuff in my life, you know, whether it's acting or whether it's doing music on my own or whether it's working with Nick Mason. And it became a relief to think I'm not writing songs. Any, I don't have to write songs and put them aside and think, oh, when Spandau Ballet get back together, I'll use that. I don't really, I just want to do different things. Now I don't need the, uh, I don't need the stress of, of trying to get that old gang back together again and having all the, to deal with all the, you know, the, bitterness and stuff you know what it's like right that's what yeah. it's like well, well, I, I think it's pretty interesting to hear like a songwriter actually sing his own material um as opposed to you know th there's always that sort of tension when you've got a someone else who's got a great voice singing work that you're proud of but um i heard a live performance an acoustic performance of true and and gold um on one of your interviews and it was it was special because you were the guy that wrote those songs and it kind of reminded me of Bert Bacharach when he's, you know, he's the typical songwriter that gives Lenzi's work out. But I've got this album where he actually sings some of his own songs. And it's just, I don't know, it's, there's mm. something about when Jimmy Webb is another, his own work. Jimmy Webb is another person, you know, I went to see Jimmy Webb live and, and, and you know, he's singing songs that we're, we've only ever heard big crooners sing. And uh, he yeah. hasn't, he hasn't got the same chops vocally, but you just, you know the stories are his. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It's um, it's coming from the horse's mouth, so to speak. It's like Dylan. I, I I think I actually got into Bob Dylan by listening to covers that I really liked, and then I was able to appreciate Bob Dylan. And then now I I like Bob Dylan. You know, it's it's well, you know, it's around. true. I mean, Bob started off as a songwriter for other people. I mean, you know, you know, his 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 biggest hit, you know, Tambourine Man was 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 someone else's. Birds and, yeah. You know, yeah. but but I know what you're saying, but but I think I and I didn't know how much the people would want to even listen to what I do. So um, but I just felt that if I'm going to I've got to make an album for myself, it's and I and I, you know, it's not about, you know, I know that I would probably chart it more if I gave it to the, to Spandau. But this isn't a bunch of songs that I can imagine Spandau ever doing. And I just wanted to be able to do that and experience it and see if it worked. Um, Gary, in 2017, when you were on Good Morning Britain, you had mentioned that you were in the studio recording music for Spandau. Are these those tracks? No, no, no. 2017. So we must have got back together then. Oh, did we? So these, hmm, these, these tracks were fully meant to be solo from the very beginning oh yeah 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 these were these are all for, these were all for me and they only started in 2019 is when i started writing these songs the oldest song on here actually is called the feet of mercury and it's a song that i wrote 15 years ago and and it's just been the it was the only thing that's kind of been sitting there and i've enjoyed the lyrics of and i just thought you know i really want to put that into the album because i think it would work um <clears throat> but everything else was written um, in solo was the first song I wrote for this album. It came out of a, a, a just sitting at the piano. Uh, I, I'd been, I, th there was a tale I wanted to tell, tell, and it actually, there's part of it was in, inspired by Paul McCartney's uh, Another Day. I really love that the mundane, small idea of beginning a song with a woman getting ready to go to work. And I've always felt for her. Ever since I was a kid and I first heard that song, I've always felt for her story. I think she reminded me of my mum. My mum went out. We had no money growing up. But my mum, you know, would, would get out and go, go to work. 
My dad would go to work. They'd take us to school. And I felt connected to this woman in another day. And I think I wanted to write this person again. And so the beginning of In Solo begins with, um, with, with her going, with a woman going to work in a big city, but feeling very alone at the same time. And then, and then out of that came another, came a guy, the second person. Well, they, wow, there's a guy. Yeah, he's the same. He's trying to get turned on by social media. He's trying, he's looking for likes, but he's not getting it. <laughs> and, and then, and then, and then I didn't know. And then I, then I put it in first person singular. And I think sometimes I jump around like that in a song because the first person can often be me going inside the character's head and singing. So you're talking about characters and third persons. You're, you reckon this is the actor coming out in you, like, or the producer maybe, um, you no, know, I think it's it's, work it's is very something... sort of c- cinematic as well. I, I find it would transfer onto film quite nicely. Well, when I think about putting a, a, the track together, and I work with Toby Chapman on this, you know, I do think very cinematically. And that song very much was 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 down on the cameras were down in with these people cutting between the two of them, and then there's a middle section when the guitar solo comes in, and there's this what I call a Greek chorus, and it's a judgment, an objective view, and that's the camera really high up. And then it Maybe. goes down into the synthesized moments, which is inside you've, their head. You've heads. got to put videos to these tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? You, you, if you can give me the budget, I'd. I'd <laughs> you know, There's a I song think... on your on your album that really took me the most. Um, it really resonated with me. It's called uh, "Our Light," and it's the last track. It's almost like you were, for me anyway. You you were saving the best for last, and uh, it's just a perfectly produced and performed even your voice just comes straight through the record on that song it's perfect it's, it, it was it, it just, thank you stevie wonders as wow it took me back to the 70s um, well the 70s know, have been a really big thing on this album for me you know i was going at you know i mean the synth, synth solo on that i wanted it to sound like rick wakeman rick, rick no rick right actually oh you know. man like it was like rick wakeman came and hijacked the middle of the <laughs> You know? Or one of his, you know, like, like from Yes, you know, yeah, it was one of those things. But it, it, that's, the, that's the most spiritual song on the album. I'm not a spiritual person, but that is the most spiritual song on the album. And it is directly about my wife. And I wanted it to be personal. I wanted it to be last because I wanted to end on a positive note because I'd already sort of felt like I'd bookended the album with, with um, In Solo and The Haunted, which was about the same two characters and was a little bit depressing at the end because <laughs> uh, it's a kind of about this, you know, their estrangement. And then to end on a more positive note and... This is the bizarre thing. I, I wrote my death into that song. And if you listen to the last verse, it's about me leaving and her being there when I go. And um, I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that's the way that it'll be, the order of things. Um, and <laughs> it is deep. And if you listen to it, you'll hear it, but it's done in a really positive way. And it's, and it's about the sort of light that we leave behind maybe in our, because of love. And I just, this is, there's only, you know, in putting the order of the album together, this was the only ever, only place it could be because you couldn't follow that. In my I'm fucking, I'm fucking, I'm dead. <laughs> you talk about that yeah. band dynamic. I mean, you guys have had a, a career that's been on and off for five, four or five decades. Are you surprised when what you've experienced, are you surprised that the Beatles even lasted 10 years 
with are we on to the Beatles now are we truly doing the Beatles now well I'm, I'm, tr- I'm transitioning <laughs> you're transitioning well I, the green you, line you can't is say that you can talk the Beatles now man just go crazy we, we go back and forth <laughs> we go back and forth <laughs> you know the, 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 sorry what was the question there tell I, me I, I, I just went were you, were you even surprised with all that alpha male testosterone and uh that they've lasted as long as they did well, they, you know, really, their, their, their career was short, wasn't it? I mean, right. You but, know. but I mean, th- knowing the band dynamic and how everyone. Was, oh, how right. surprised how long how long they lasted. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think with the Beatles there, they really did what most bands do in 20 years. They did. They did in that yeah. span of seven, you know, of recorded work, you know, what they would do. You know, people forget the Beatles were an avant-garde band. You know, they, they were pushing the boundaries into art rock everywhere. Now, I mean, I was mentioning 10 CC earlier, you know, you know, track like, uh, you know, I'm Mandy or art for art's sake, you know, these were songs that I, you know, I was trying to emulate some of them on, on my album here, you know, but they're nothing compared to what some of the stuff, you know, the Beatles would be doing, uh, in, in 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 towards the end of their career you know i mean the the famous medley on the back of abbey road you know to to jump around like that this is a band that could have stayed in a commercial like a lot of their contemporaries in a completely commercial world doing that sort of rock and roll stuff that they did on the first few albums but but you know but but they you know even that but even because that made them so huge but then they turned around and went, well, we're just going to do the most difficult record you've ever, heard, you know, here and there you've ever heard. We're going to give you stuff that, that will expand your mind. Now, I just think that con- compression of artistic change and development compressed so tightly around two really strong egos. I, and I, and uh there wasn't just, it's not like, it's like with you two have been around forever. There's obviously just one guy who's in charge, right? You know, the Rolling Stones even. There's one guy who's in charge. You know, so this wasn't, this was two guys in charge. And then a third came along writing some of the most incredible music to come. So, so, you know, not being suppressed by the brilliance of John and Paul, George delivers you know, um, something, something and, and, yeah. here comes a something. He was sort of bottled up, like trying to compete with these guys. And uh, it's amazing that like uh, Phil Spector inherited all of that George Harrison solo work straight after the Beatles disbanded because he'd been shelving all these songs because, you know, John and Paul sort of carved up the empire between them both. Well, I think they learned off each other a lot. So, I, I have to put my hands up and, and 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 say that I'm a Paul guy, right? Okay, yeah. Not a yeah. pool guy, a Paul guy, right? So, uh, I mean, I'm in his camp a lot because I think he he his his writing is unfiltered. He he has, and sometimes that's why Paul has delivered some terrible stuff as a solo artist. Because he, he doesn't experimental in his solo work, isn't he? Like a temporary secretary. I mean, that's yeah. that's some really sort of groundbreaking solo material from Paul. Yeah. And the thing is with Paul, when he writes something, it's not like he says there's the voice of John talking to him, but but tr- the truth is he pretty much puts out everything he writes, you know, like, you know, because he 
he's kind of that's anyway let's let's go back to the Beatles so I think Paul had the chops songwriting wise you know he had his dad inspiring him you know he had you know he, he wrote when I'm 64 when he was 16 or something didn't he you know so he 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 had the vaudeville chord sequences you know these these eastern european chord sequences that had come over to to american creating musical theater he had all of that pretty much down and if you look at john's work john's work was was much more four chords you know you know the earthy, four classic really sort of, yeah earthy sort of um yeah sort of very sort of uh organic john yeah Wilson. he was the, he paul was, the, was more he, sort of renaissance man kind of like yourself you play a lot of instruments and paul played a lot of different instruments maybe that's why you identify with paul well what i can see going on here and i think it's really beautiful really is you know paul was the arty one he was going out with jane asher they were hanging out at the indica gallery you know they're, they're he's he's the artistic guy paul, john is the sort of slightly angry working class guy but not getting that kind of being angry with paul probably for not for doing all these arty things you know you know we're not middle While class man and stuck at home <laughs> we're not middle and then and then you see john trying to reach for him the minute they come together musically and i, I can hear lots of paul's chords going over into john's work is with strawberry fields and penny lane right that's when they are totally on par with each other that's nose to nose mano and mano double a side record right so yeah. <clears throat> and then paul, then john decides he's the arty guy I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get this art artist and I'm going to hang out with her and I'm going to have her in the studio and I'm going to be at the one at the galleries. So he it was like this role reversal had gone on, which was all about their internal competition and, and, and more that the a slight sort of envy and aspiration. You know, I think, I think, you know, the Beatles wouldn't have existed without any of them, but, but I can, but I think John was reaching up to be Paul all the way through their career. And in the end, he felt he didn't need him. It's, 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 it's insightful. Wow. Uh, Gary. I, I, <laughs> Sorry. I, you I, got I, me started guys. No, no, no. Oh, you you know, I, and I have another question for you as a songwriter. Do you ever rely on the Beatles to put you in that songwriting mindset? Oh, I think, I think there's always, they're, they're part of the, the sort of popery of, of of everything that I've collected and collected in my eclectic um, record collection and life, um, I'm always blown away by their skills and and um, most of all by their in, and Paul in particular by his enthusiasm to keep working, to to keep going to keep making music, to keep asking the questions of the, of the art form that he's in. And, um, and, and, and occasionally when I'm having my dry spots, as it were, you know, and, and blocks, you just think, what, what would Paul do? Paul would just get to the piano and smash it. You know, he'd come up with something. So he, he's, he's, that's an incredible inspiration. I, and I think, he has written one of the most perfect songs ever written, which is yesterday. And he still doesn't know how he wrote it. He still thinks he dreamt it and maybe stole it. Right. Yeah, It's the most covered song of all time. Apparently. I, it's, it's a perfect AABA song. Um, it begins with the title, you know, it's, 
the reason he thought he may have heard it somewhere else is because it's very, very like a Noel Coward sort of song. It's, it's how they wrote songs in those early days and of vaudeville and music hall. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's so complete and succinct. And it, I, I, I think it's one of those genre jumping songs that any age group can, can fall in love and get something from. And so for me, I'm forever trying to write that song. Yeah. Sort of try to reach back. Like Paul was very into reaching back into the, into the past to bring something out into the present day, but, you know, format something new, but uh, he was very good at sort of uh, uh, drawing out the past into his current day. Um, are you sort of like that yourself in, in a way? Is that what you mean when you say um, I'm, I'm trying to sort of do that? Um. I think I think I think Paul was inspired by the not the sort of they, they come in a time when there was a lot of Edwardian nostalgia, right? I hear it and I see it in their work. There was a lot of, you know, if you take something like the benefit of Mr. Kite, you know, there was a lot of fashion at the time. If you walk down King's Road, you would have seen there was an Edwardian revival going on. But the whimsy of of English culture slightly fantasized and fabricated that the Beatles um, put into their music. So there's humor as well from the, their past. Their past, they, they weren't just a band that was inspired by American rock and roll or the Everly Brothers or whatever. They were inspired by the Goons. Now, unless you know the work of the Goons, you don't fully appreciate the Beatles. That's why the goofing around thing was really big for them. So I think, you know, the elements of stuff from the past and bringing it up to date and filtering it into their work, they were unashamedly doing that the whole time. And it was very, very British, a lot of that. We could talk about this all day. Unfortunately, we have to cut the interview short. But <laughs> Gary, appreciate your time today. Don't forget your solo album, In Solo, available wherever albums are sold. Don't get me started on the Beatles again, guys, because I just won't <laughs> stop.